Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week, it's Vengeance on the Hoof with two films, Death Wish and Vigilante. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Street justice. You're getting street justice on, on, on the people building your house, is that what you're saying, Doug? No, no, everything is... Well, I mean, everything by everything moving along fine means nothing is really happening right now but is it is it turns out in a country with actual justice you don't need as much street justice <laughs> street justice is, is for countries without justice i saw that guy down there tip that plant over i'm gonna go down and give him a piece of my mind <laughs> hello could you please put that plant back where you found it thank you and that would be the extent of it. Wait, there's a there's a facebook group for my neighborhood and the other day, somebody was posting in there about uh, how teenagers were in the park with a baseball bat hitting a tree. And I was like, yeah, this is a real rough area we live in here when people have time to be upset about that. <laughs> You're like, it's like, that tree had it coming. Everyone was real worked up about it, too. They're like, that's a perfectly good tree. They're breaking it. I'm like, it's, it's <laughs> teenagers in a park hitting something with a tree. I can just imagine the weird that like a Canadian only Facebook that it's just people throwing random tantrums. Like I said, sorry, and he didn't say okay. <laughs> what the no fuck? Angry emoji, just slightly disturbed emoji. <laughs> perturbed, <laughs> the perturbed emoji. Um, well, I guess for some different kind of street justice. We could, we could go back to the '70s and the '80s when New York was not a very good place to uh, hang out in. Well, I think that's actually an interesting um, thing that you're bringing up there, which is that uh, according to these movies, New York was a dirty cesspool full of people who just randomly broke into apartments and murdered everyone involved for no reason. Uh-huh. And I'm reasonably confident that's not true. <laughs> and I think these movies. Like it, we should get the conversation out of the way first before we get into the discussion of each individual movie because they were hugely damaging to our society because all of these types of movies came out, convinced everyone that there was these roaming street gangs that would just kick in your front door and shoot your child in the bathtub for no reason whatsoever, which almost never happens. And then convinced everyone that the court system was just letting all these people go. Mm-hmm. And so as a result... We have a society that for roughly 20 years just believed that criminals were just these evil monsters who were criminals for no reason, that they were out to get just average everyday people, 
again, completely unprovoked, just murdering, raping, killing for no reason, and that the justice system wouldn't uh, wouldn't do anything about it. I mean, and and that's really only half true. Well, almost none of it is true. Well, no, like the, most, no, you're, in, you're you're incorrect. The, the fact that the justice system will do absolutely nothing about it is one hundred percent true. That's still true. Well, it's not true now because what happened as a result of, the, of everyone believing what they saw in these movies. Because we have to remember, people are stupid and they don't know that movies are fake, right? So, throughout the eighties and nineties, all that tough on crime legislation was because people believed these movies were true. And now we're seeing the mass incarceration and the negative impacts of that on our society. And we're, we're finally kind of waking up to it and realizing that maybe just locking up every person who you find with a joint in their pocket isn't a good idea. Right. See, see, but the problem is, is while everything you just said right there is true, actual like criminals don't don't ever get a punishment they deserve. People smoking pot, sure, we put them in prison for the rest of their lives. Or somebody gets desperate and robs a liquor store, that person's going to jail for the rest of their life. But in America, it's pretty common for, like, a violent rapist to get 23 counts, go into court, plea bargain, get 16 months, and be right back out on the street. I don't know. I, I, I'd i be interested to look into the stats on that, because one of these movies... It's really specifically. common, especially in America. I don't, I don't know if it's the same as... Canada, but our our plea bargain system is a big problem. Well, the, yeah, the plea bargain system is a big problem that goes both ways, where people are forced to take plea bargains that where they're committed, they're pleading guilty to things that they shouldn't be pleading guilty to because it's their only way out of jail. And it's also a problem with you know people just trying to clear dockets and not and not. I mean, the the overall problem is that the court system is run. And this is, I think, across the Western world. It's run too businesslike, right? We're measuring stats and we're going, well, this lawyer cleared 16 cases yesterday and the other guy only cleared 12. So the guy who cleared 16 must have done more. But really, if they did a shitty job, it's not what the court system is supposed to do. And a lot of that is a result of the overworked court system that resulted from you know, broken windows policies and stop and frisk policies and all these other tough on crime policies that put a lot of people, especially people of uh, lesser wealth, into the court system that really didn't need to be there. Yeah. And so I, I, I think the police. Well, not exactly, but kind of. Um, no, you know. no, not not kind of. Fuck, fuck the police. But, fuck, uh, like, fuck the police and fuck the criminals. They're both pieces of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the fact that our police departments are now so stats driven is a major problem. But the fact that people went along with it, I do think is attributable to the plethora of movies, including the ones we're going to talk about today that depicted, you know, crime the way it's depicted and depicted the system the way it's depicted in an attempt to, I don't know that the filmmakers were trying to send any kind of a message. They were just trying to make a movie, but I also, again, as a kid, I used to just be able to enjoy movies because I thought everyone knew they were fake. And now I realize that people don't understand that. And people believe the things they see on TV and in the movies are real, which is unfortunate for our society in some cases. It's also fortunate for our society in some cases. Some good comes from it as well. But it's, 
I don't know. Like, like looking back on it, it's just like, oh wow, it's kind of hard to watch these movies and not see them as like far right propaganda. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, Noah, why don't you tell us about Death Wish? Uh, so Charles Bronson's daughter uh, is is brutally attacked and traumatized by a group of people uh, who are just your stereotypical trauma esque uh, street street gang hooligans. That's a great way to describe them. I mean, they are. I mean, I suppose the Warriors would be a good comparison too, although they're not quite so uh, looking like they're going to get into a snapping finger West Side Story brawl with their matching outfits as Warriors. Uh, you said random people, random group of people, but I mean, come on, it was obviously led by a deranged uh, Jeff Goldblum. Also true. Uh, and then so basically, it's. Death Wish doesn't go as fast as you think it would, because I, I feel like I remember this movie escalating faster. But it's it's pretty much the slow slide from Charles Bronson being like, ah, there's no justice in the world to, oh, you know what, maybe I should just randomly fucking murder every fucking person who's doing something bad on the street. Yeah, but it, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's pretty much a character story about Charles Bronson's descent into vigilantism uh i don't i don't remember did you mention that they killed his wife as well oh yeah yeah they killed his wife (laughs) oh yeah yeah that well here's so here's the problem in in both these movies it's the same thing that death death and rape are so trivialized in these films that it almost it like it takes away the impact of them happening um I don't know if it's fair. Okay. I don't know if it's fair to say that the rape is trivialized in death wish because we do see the lasting impact on the daughter well past like the physical effects that she experiences and well past that one scene. I mean, they're, they literally are putting her into a home at one point in this movie because she can't psychologically recover from what's been done to her. So I don't think it's fair to say, and, I'd actually I went ahead and watched Death Witch two and three as well, and nice. she's like is um s- still in that home and still feeling the impacts well into the sequel. So I don't think it's fair to say that they trivialized it. I don't know that they handled it great. Um, I think the film kind of isn't capable of addressing the issues it's trying to address at the level it wishes to. But uh, yeah, they're not it's, they're not ignoring it. It's. It's fascinating. The the interjection of politics in Death Wish is done in a I don't a weird way. See, I'm kind of on Brian's side that it it comes off as Republican propaganda. There's right? Doug's side. Well, Doug. Uh, but at the same time, it I, I don't know if it's supposed to be a parody. Sometimes it's just the way the way that they discuss things every once in a while. You're like, no, do people really fucking think like that? Like the fact that this movie makes such a big fucking deal that Charles Bronson's character was a conscientious objector. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like they bring it up a million fucking times. It's it's insane how many times they bring it up. And there's that scene where he's walking through the party. And, and there's the different people discussing the vigilanteism. 
And they bring up the kind of soundbite news stuff that you'd think that you would hear. You know, one person says, well, maybe he's a racist. He does seem to be killing an awful lot of black people compared to white people. And the other person, you know, basically says, well, that's because all the black people are criminals. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, it. Yeah, that's a real conversation see, I, people have. Yeah, I, I would have thought that that was parody had I, had I not lived my life and made it through to 2021, um, where I now have to listen to that conversation happen regularly by watching news programs, right? Right. And it's, you know, it's it's really interesting that maybe at the time people weren't as conscious of the fact that those were political statements, but now they come right out of the mouths of politicians, right? So it's 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 maybe the movie's in some ways ahead of its time. But I think the real thing that we've stumbled across here is that the movie isn't that well made. So we talk about, well, is it supposed to be parody? Is it supposed to be, you know, why do they keep bringing up the fact that he's a conscientious objector? Well, they bring that up because they want this pacifist character to descend into this violent killer. But they didn't exactly go out and hire an actor that's capable of pulling that off with Charles Bronson. He's good at pulling off the killer part, <laughs> but it, he does not come across as like a pacifist architect who descends into madness. He comes across as a guy who was a violent killer, who is still just a violent killer, who barely has any emotional reaction to anything that ever goes on because they hired him I, as basically an action star. I, and I think, never understood the weird his his magic. So Charles Bronson could somehow be like a, a fucking plastic wood person yeah. and be just incredibly charismatic at the same time. I don't. I, well, he's it's it's voodoo. It has to be black magic of some kind. In so in some ways, he's like a movie star, not an actor, right? The same way. And, and, you know, the fact that this film series went where it went by the time they get to part three and it becomes, you know, a canon action movie series of the eighties, that makes total sense because that's who they hired. They didn't hire a, a good actor who could pull off the drama. They hired a guy who's going to look good with a gun in his hand and who you believe is a tough guy and who's charismatic enough to hold your attention. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, except the movie kind of walks this weird line where it's like, okay, you hire Charles Bronson, you almost you're setting yourself up for an exploitation movie, an action movie. And it doesn't really get deep enough into that territory because it ends up just being him walking around with one gun, having these relatively simple little shootouts with these muggers um, and all that. But you you also don't get like the drama film that would, you know, kind of cause everyone to sit around and have a debate about the pros and cons of vigilanteism because you've hired a guy that is an action star rather than a guy that could show you that emotional depth and show you that journey. And you could, you could kind of more understand how a guy who's been through this traumatic event is pushed to the vigilanteism and maybe even see that the vigilanteism has a negative impact on him. Um, the way it's portrayed in this movie is like, it's cathartic for him to get his vigilanteism and the burger ring makes him a happier person and more productive at work, which is a very strange thing to portray. So like, I, I think the movie kind of misses its mark there where it's like it, it doesn't go far enough in either direction. That's, that's 
that was kind of my take on it going in and watching it. I still kind of feel the same way. And now you guys can react to what I said if you want. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. I mean, just does anybody um, want to disagree or or agree? <laughs> no, I do. Um, I also agree that they do like to show him as a uh, uh, conscientious objector, but then by the end of it, he's like, I'm tired of this shit, so I'm just going to start shooting people. And I do love that he gets out of New York and he goes to Tucson, and they're like, yeah, we don't put up with that shit around here. Yeah! I was like, Jesus Christ, if you could be any more like on the nose with shit. Yeah, like, in other words, you have to... The the liberal fucking elite guy has to go and learn from real Americans how to act like a real person so that he can come back and save the liberal city by applying his right-wing politics. It's it's so on the nose. Yeah. I do... So... This is this is a silly objection because it's a 1970s uh, grimy movie, but the violence can be very exploitative, obviously, <laughs> where it's like, OK, that wasn't done for mood or story purposes. <laughs> like, that was just you wanted to like show somebody hurting somebody, you know, but I do like some of the depiction of the violence. Like at one point he got shot a guy. And the guy doesn't just, you know, insta die in that movie fashion. And, you know, instead yeah. the guy's like crawling on the ground like, ah, you know, it's like, yeah, that's what would happen. <laughs> yeah, I liked, I liked that. I thought they did a decent job, too, from an action perspective of like, like the first couple of times it's sort of it escalates. And by the end of it, he's in like a shootout with three or four guys. But that first time, it's more like just one guy and they're both kind of struggling to get their guns out. He's more or less just lucky to get his out first. You know, um, well, that like stuff the, like that worked pretty well. I like the system he came up with, which was putting a hole in his pocket. So then he yep. could just have it ready and just open his coat up and be like, yeah. yeah. There, there were some interesting ideas in the movie. I thought when um, like when he was on the train, too, and he ends up having that shootout there. And when the cops are having their discussion about it and they're like, they're trying to track him back to the grocery store and all that. They mentioned the idea that, Oh, he like got on this train and was probably here for like hours waiting for something to happen, like hunting people basically. And that's almost an interesting, you know, okay. So he's not defending himself. He's just murdering at that point. Right. But they kind of just brush over that. The ideas are there, but yeah, uh, I mean, that guy did take a knife and cut his newspaper in half, so he was asking. Yeah. And I like but that I mean, guy. he shoots these guys and then is like, well, just walk right up on these steps and then go around the corner and the police run up and they're like, we're baffled. He somehow got away. And I just thought that was hilarious because nowadays they would have tracked him like <laughs> for blocks with city cameras. John John Mulaney does a really good uh, comedy bit about how bad investigations were up until modern times. And he's talking about like back in the 1920s where, where, you know, 20 dudes would rob a bank and then be like, tell everybody the Scuggins gang did this and like shoot Scuggins into the fucking wall and then walk (laughs) off and the police get there and they're like, well, we didn't catch him doing it. There is some truth to that. I mean, if eyewitnesses don't just say, hey, there's the guy that did it, 
1974 logic, I don't know what the cops really do. Like we see how they track him down as best they can using the the technology they have available to them. And it's actually pretty clever, right? They, you know, they know the area he's in, they know what grocery store he shops at. They start looking for, you know, people who were in the war and or people who have been victims of crime and all this. And I like what they do, but it's just so fucking slow moving because it's the seventies and there's no like database. You can't just like point and click three times and get down to your list of four potential suspects. Uh, we should also mention the number of fucking, uh, well, I would say cameos, but I mean, they weren't really cameos in this movie. It's like small parts played by early actors. Like we mentioned Jeff Goldblum yeah. earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. For guests shows up as a cop at the end of the movie. And then uh, Grandpa Munster plays the uh, security guard in uh, Kersey's uh, office building. Yep. That's my favorite part. I like seeing him more than I like seeing Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> Goldberg. Goldberg. Goldberg, sorry. He, he just, just slipped up there. People. So Goldberg would be <laughs> just, <laughs> be, You know what? Just jackhammers Charles Bronson. Ah! I, I could see them. I honestly think like this movie, like I think a remake of this with some idiot wrestler in it could be really, really fun because that's where you just turn it up to 11 and make a full, full on exploitation movie that, you know, yeah. Gone is all this drama and political commentary, and it's just a guy who's like wrestling guys in the park because they fucking piss him off. But you, you know, you, you mean like remaking it with Bruce Willis? No, yeah. I mean like remaking it. I mean like remaking it well. <laughs> I don't know think I there's any the such Bruce thing Willis as remaking, remaking this so. well. No, I, I think if you're going to retell this story, what you do is you make a decision. To either, you know, like I said, crank it to 11, just make a big, dumb action movie that's super fun to watch. You know, lots more violence, lots more, lots more action, lots less talk. Or you go the other way with it and you make a dramatic film about this character and you hire somebody who's capable of doing that, both a director and an actor that are capable of telling the story about this character and his descent into vigilanteism and the emotional impact it has on him. And, you know, you kind of push aside that whole thing of like, is vigilanteism really good for society? Cause all of a sudden crime will go down if criminals know there's vigilante out there. And it's like, no, I, I don't think we need to have a movie repeating that point over and over again. Cause I just don't think it's particularly realistic. Right. See, actor, I'm not sure about, but if if I was a a big time cigar smoking Hollywood executive that that was getting to pick the director of the remake of this movie, I would totally get the the dude that made Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, I have no problem with that at all. And that's how you get your your dramatic take on this story, which you're still not going to suffer from a lack of violence. Which I think having the visceral violence in the dramatic telling of the story would be important. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a good a, a movie that that the world could probably use right now is perhaps a another vigil anti movie that shows uh, the reason why people aren't superheroes. Yeah. You know, you know, because if you actually if you actually went out and did the things that superheroes were doing. You'd be, you're a psychopath. You're a dangerous person. Like, correct. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I love Batman, but I recognize that he's a fictional character. And, you know, there there is a difference between the, the fake world and the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. I will say, having watched the having watched the sequels to this, I don't know that going the full proper dramatic storytelling is the right way to go, because by the time canon gets a hold of this series, <laughs> man, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Charles man, guys I, I swear to god like can- part that canon one it's just part three so- I think came out the same year as Rambo 2 and I think they reused some of the props except one of them is a war movie and one of them's about a guy protecting an apartment building <laughs> but they're using the same guns yeah I was gonna say see the, the difference is so this movie in the direct sequels have a problem with uh, uh, systemic racism you know what I mean? Like, th- there's a bunch of stuff that is clearly racist, and it's in the movie because it's a reflection of a society that was racist, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But once canon gets a hold of it, it goes from that to overtly cartoonish racism. Well, the key, yeah, like part three, the number of characters who are just a cartoonish version of their own race. It's absolutely hilarious. Like, there's just so many different versions of that going on. There's like every every apartment in this apartment building is occupied by a stereotype. There's the Jewish family. There's the Mexican family. There's like you know the the two different old white men. They each get their own apartments because one of them has to be killed off in order for Charles Bronson to save the day. But it's legitimately funny watching it, and it's just at that point it is a cartoon, so. It, None of that really matters. It, well, it matter. It matters. <laughs> I I think it's one of those things that as long as you're laughing at the racism of the film, it's okay. But it is one of those movies that I find problematic because if you sat the wrong person down next to you, they wouldn't be laughing at the inappropriateness of the racism. They would be laughing because they they enjoy the racism, if yeah, that makes know. sense. Maybe. But it's honestly, though, it'd be like that's hard to do with this one. With the first one, you're not going to get even even if you sat like the worst person alive. So. A, a Donald Trump ass character. You put you put him in the room with you. I think that even he's just uh, confused and bitching the whole time. He's not going, man, that Charles Bronson. That's what we need to do. Shoot them black people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Part two is interesting because it's uh, they just retell the same story, but that they. It, the way they try to tie it back in is they actually have the cop from this one, the the one that just told them like get out of town and we won't arrest you. <laughs> they have him show up and uh, join his cause in L.A., which is very interesting. And that poor daughter gets raped again in part two, which is just not fair to her as a character. Is it the same daughter? Yeah, because I felt like it. They pretty much just were like, yeah, we'll make another one. His wife and his kid get you know hurt. And someone's like, but that's what we did. And they're like, yeah, hey, don't worry about it. Right. It's much more ridiculous than that in part two. So he goes and like picks up the daughter for like a weekend outing from her home that she's in, which is in California now because he's in California now because it's cheaper to shoot there because there's really no reason why 
he's in California. Um, and well, it, there's only so much the, you can do to make Toronto look like New York. But, but at the end of part one, he legitimately just is in Chicago. So just maybe have him be in Chicago. <laughs> it's not that hard to make Toronto look like Chicago. <laughs> but um, they, uh, yeah, so they're in L.A. for no reason. It's he goes and picks up the daughter, but it's the daughter gets raped again after the housekeeper is the one that gets killed this time. And it's like, that's where we're at. We're killing his housekeeper just to create a vigilante again. That's fun. And in part two, he full on has a vigilante uniform. Like he stops and changes his clothes before he goes into vigilanteism. But it's on like one of those. Uh, I don't know, like those. What, I don't know what those toques are called, like Mickey Warren Rocky. And he's got this trench coat. But yeah, the poor daughter gets raped again. They upgrade the gang, though, cause instead of a... It's now got Larry Fishburne in it, which, quite yeah, frankly, that's, for those... That's, that's not an upgrade. They had the gold blue. Uh, for playing a low-level criminal, I think I would prefer Larry Fishburne, especially his ridiculous over-the-top performance <laughs> in Death Wish 2. Just yeah, but my preference would be Charles Bronson replaced with uh, Goldblum. Just him hemming and hawing before shooting somebody. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting take. <laughs> uh, 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 your criminal scum. Bang. <laughs> life uh, life uh, finds a way, but not for you. Then shoots him. <laughs> that, that joke will be hilarious in 20 years when that other movie comes out. <laughs> Planning the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I don't watch part. Uh, I watched part three. I have part four and five, which part four is also a Canon's film. Um, part four, I've got like keyed up, but I got distracted this week. Plan was to have it watched. Yeah, so I got two more to watch before I've seen the entire franchise. <sighs> I don't, I can't imagine them coming down from the peak of part three, though. When that full on of like the last the last forty five minutes of part three is just a giant shootout with miniguns and fucking all sorts of crazy shit going on, and it's like it, it really is like what happens if you took the Harry Brown script and gave it to Canon Films. That's what you would get. It's part three. So I don't know. I really don't know how you can top that. I'm, I'm almost hesitant to watch four and five. Yeah. But in my humble opinion, I actually like I preferred watching part three to part one because, like I say, they lean into just being a giant, stupid exploitation film. And there you go. Versus like part one, where I feel like they kind of tried to walk the line between the two types of filmmaking. And therefore, what they came up with isn't a great example of either. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, anything else before we move on to the completely a different movie, Vigilante? Well, other than reminding you to go back and edit out the phrase completely different from your last sentence, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would say Death Wish is a, a recommend. It's, it's, it's not a great movie. No, it, it doesn't but, deserve its reputation. Right. But it's totally worth a watch. And it's to Charles Bronson. I I have a hard time not recommending Charles Bronson movies. Love Charles Bronson. <laughs> what about his modern day uh, doppelganger? Who's that? Oh my God! There's, there's a guy a... that looks just. Like... 
<laughs> just like him. And they just keep putting him in movies where you'd think Charles Bronson would be in it. It's funny. Like, it's terrifying. Like, it's somebody cloned him and it's, it's making Charles Bronson. Let me send you a picture of this guy because I think he's in a movie called Death Kiss, which was, I'm sure. Um, coincidence. That's a weird, weird coincidence. Yeah. Robert no, Bronson is his name. Why don't we get Noah to give us the plot of Vigilante while we look up that picture so that the listeners don't have to just listen to silence? You're not going to do it? I just told you to give us the plot description and you're like, no, fuck that. (laughs) He's he's talking to Noah. I don't know if you are aware. Now, too busy looking at this Charles Bronson guy. Holy shit, he does look like him. It's weird. It's terrifying. Uh, it vigilante. Right. Uh, a bunch of criminals break into a house and hurt a bunch of women and then shoot a kid in what is one of the most fantastic exploitation moments of all time. That kid getting shot's pretty great. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible whenever a child dies in a movie, but man. Not really, though. This this is a Bravo. This is a, it's a Bravo moment. If I was sitting in that theater when this movie came out, I would have lost my shit. Uh, and guess what? Uh, somebody tied to the victims goes out for revenge, and that's it. That's it. That's the entire movie. This this movie's weird. Great. It's like in a prison and out of a prison, and then it, in a courtroom. It's a bit out more of a complicated than though. But what's interesting about this movie is like you've skipped over the fact that there's just a vigilante gang roaming around at the beginning of this movie and that the the main character just happens to know them and then his wife and kid are attacked and then he's like oh I already know some vigilantes maybe I'll talk to them about what I should do about this which is super fucking awkward because his story is really interesting where he tries to do the right thing and he it gets when they get to the court scene and he's been like working with the lawyers throughout the movie while this vigilante gang is taking care of other issues and he finally ends up like flipping out because they let the guy off with, like a two-year suspended sentence for murdering his child and uh he uh he ends up in more jail time for yelling at the judge than the other guy gets for murder like you could see that story of him working towards becoming a vigilante more and more and then he goes to prison where he's forced to kind of like toughen up and deal with shit um so when he gets out you can kind of understand his arc more but it's super fucking weird that there's just another group of vigilantes that are unrelated to his story that just happened to be involved what did you guys think of this movie had you guys seen this before because the other one everyone i think has seen death wish at some point have you guys seen this one before though yeah, I talked about it on the show before. Okay. I don't I don't think I'd actually seen this one before. Uh, I, I mean actually, it started it, it starts with Fred Williamson talking to the screen, so I was like, Oh yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually really like Robert Forrester in it. I feel like he's a really good just average guy. Do you think he should have been in Death Wish? Would Death Wish have been a lot better if they cast Robert Forrester? Because I think so. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He is a he is a lot better actor, as you pointed out, than yeah. Charles Bronson. 
How dare you? I just said he's a better actor. That doesn't mean he's a better movie star. Just because it's true doesn't mean you can defame a national treasure. <laughs> look, look, Charles Bronson does one thing, and he does it super well. And I'm more than happy to uh, engage with that. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. the, uh, the thing I found with this movie is based on the uh, the cover art and the fact that it opens with Fred Williams talking into the uh, camera like that. I was just expecting full on exploitation movie and I did not expect this like serious story to be told um, with kind of an exploitation movie last half hour of violence. But I was really caught off guard when they started like meeting with lawyers and having courtroom scenes and, <laughs> you know, having Robert Forrester sent to prison and have to like learn how to be tough from like an old con. I found that all very interesting. Which at first I was like, wait, did I forget that Skyman Crothers is in this movie? Looks like him. <laughs> but it's pretty close. But you guys, you're you're ignoring the fact that how good was that kid getting shot? It's it's really really it was good. awesome. There's no like there's as a, that, a that fan of exploitation cinema uh, curtain. Yeah. Like blowing out the window is not the right. It's not the right thing. It's like a wet. It's like somebody threw meatloaf <laughs> at a window that had a the food a not the in front of. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is like again as a fan of exploitation cinema. How do you not love that? The guy just runs in. He cackles with laughter. There's the silhouette of the kid behind the shower curtain. And then he just blasts into it. And that blood and guts going everywhere. I'm like, yep. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it, the shot. So you you see him shoot toward the shower curtain. And then it cuts out because the mom is out fighting amidst the laundry sheets blowing in the wind because you know that's just a cheap movie trick of (laughs) you're in the backyard but you can't see the guy two feet away from you but yeah but from the outside you see see the window come out and the curtain come out and a blood spray but it's not like that uh, compressed air blood spray that you get in new movies (laughs) it's like a it's real thick and chunky. Yeah, this is that. a dude throwing a bucket of something out a window up there. Yeah, it's real intense. It's like they loaded a confetti cannon with chicken guts and shot it at the window. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah, whole movie's <laughs> worth it. Whole movie's worth it for that one scene. I mean, I can't argue with that point at all. And there's lots of other good stuff in the movie. Um I mean, I'm going to have the same problem with this movie I have with the last one, which is that it kind of mixes two genres. And I'm not sure how good a job it does of doing that. But a lot of that stuff with the vigilante gang tracking people down and chasing them around and shit is super fun to watch. And then the last half hour when Robert Forrester is just killing motherfuckers and he has like a 20 minute long car chase scene. I'm like, that's really fine, too. I was going to say, there's not one, but two really long foot chase scenes. Yep. Through like an industrial area. And that's too much. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Chase scenes, chase scenes on their own in movies are bad. Because no matter what you do in a chase scene, there's only two 
two ways for it to end. The guy gets away or the guy doesn't get away. Yeah, because this movie came out before Point Break, so they hadn't developed the film technology to have the chaser lay on his back and fire his gun into the air for half an hour. (sighs) Also true. Just now the best possible way to finish a chase scene, but they didn't have that option back then. Or a RoboJocks-esque thumbs up fist bump moment, maybe. (laughs) Also, you know, movie that hadn't come out yet. So Uh, I do like that. We do get to see this, uh, not for the actual reason, but see this fucked up guy, like really do something awful on screen. And this old lady kind of sees him. But doesn't say anything. And then later, when the vigilante gang is driving around, they got this old lady in the front seat. And she's like, yep, it's that guy right there. And they just let her out. They're like, thanks, ma'am. And then they go over, just beat the living shit out of him, throw him in the van. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. Like, when they're just walking up to the guy, and it's like the three criminals are on the corner, and they're like, who are these fucking guys coming over here? And then they just come over, and then they just start punching him, and they just grab the one guy and drag him off. And the other two criminals are just like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) I mean, that, that, the exploitation film that's happening in the background of this film with that vigilante gang just like running rampant on the streets is so fucking fun i want to watch a full movie of that it is is kind of weird because then yeah robert forrester goes to prison for like a month and i'm like well can't do anything with him he's in prison so let's just show the vigilante gang just doing a bunch of shit I, I really feel like there's like there's two movies happening simultaneously here where there's like you could just separate them out. You could have like that's for probably without even expanding your budget very much. You could have just separated that out and had two different films released. Um, you know, one is this serious drama about a guy driven to violence and one is this uh, exploitation film about vigilante gang. If you wanted to be set in the same universe, you could still have that one scene where he sits down and discusses vigilanteism with those guys. Right. I like that he gets out of prison. He's just like, all right, all right let's fucking do it. Just spend a month in yeah. jail. Just go fuck some up. I mean, when he finally gets a hold of that guy on the on the they're up on top of like that scaffolding or whatever, and it's the actual guy that shot his kid, and he's just got him there, and he's like he holds on to him for a while before throwing him off and shit. And you're just like, that's some eighties action movie murder that I can get behind. <laughs> I was going to say the big thing okay. that the, the dueling storylines causes in this movie that is a tragic loss is not as much uh, Fred Williamson just saying dope shit. Yeah. Again, that's why he should have his whole own movie and not right. try to this like, Fred Williamson and Robert Forrester should each have a movie where they both get more to do rather than trying to do them both in this movie. Because both of them are really good at what they're doing. Yeah, I will say so. I am I am firmly in the positive camp with Death Wish. I know some people don't like it as much as me, but I like it. I got to say, I like this one more. Oh, yeah. It's, it's better street justice. And uh, <laughs> and Charles Bronson doesn't shoot bloody chunks out of a window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. both things better. It does the drama better, and it does the exploitation better. Um, I still 
like I say, I still don't think those should necessarily be in the same movie. I think both movies have the same flaw, but this movie does both things better, which is interesting because it's a much lesser known movie, possibly just because Canon didn't buy the rights and make 20 sequels. Right. It's 25. Yeah. Like I said, it's the the bloody chunk scene. It's it's almost too much for me. It's just <laughs> I fixate I fixate on things like that. You guys know this, and it's so great. It's not as good as the uh, the fall at the end of Nightmare City with that fucking mannequin hitting twenty five bars. <laughs> it's, it falls to the ground. But a few things are. Yeah, but not nothing it's not is. A fair, That's it's, the great. It's not a fair bar. It's, it's the greatest exploitation death of all time. Just the, just that fucking mannequin ping-ponging off of fucking metal bars. But it's pretty good. It's way up there. Uh, anything else about Vigilante? No, I recommend. Yeah, it's, it's a recommend if you're into this type of movie. Like I say, be prepared for a little jarring back and forth between the two stories, but... They are both well-told stories, and they're both fun to watch. Both, both films trigger warning for sexual violence. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I, these yeah. movies were made before 1985, so it's just a standard trigger warning for sexual violence for everything that came out before back then, whether it's a cartoon or a drama film or an exploitation film or whatever. We forgot to mention uh, Robert Forrester gets out of prison, goes to see his wife who was in the hospital, like barely alive, when he went into prison. And now she's yeah. just, eh, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk to you. And it's just like, that was weird. It's like, I can't tell if she's just so upset. She's like, you remind me of our kids, so I can't talk to you. Or she's just like, eh, it's your fault. And he's it like, was, yeah, I don't think it, it's not your fault. Well, there, there is like a little story thread that goes on where he's not home much because he's busy working and that's causing trouble between them and their marriage. Um, but I don't think it's kind of explored enough for them to use that as a point of like her actually thinking like, oh, this wouldn't have happened if you were home more. Um, so it kind of comes across as a bit confusing what's going on with her. Because I think either way, like you could do it as, okay, she holds him responsible and that helps push him towards the violence or she just, you know, her leaving him because she just can't you know, because it reminds her of her kid or whatever. Um, that could also be just another thing he's lost along the way that it helps him become this vigilante character. Both of those work storyline wise, but I don't think it's clear what is actually going on in the movie. Yep. And we never get uh, any sort of resolution. Typical 1980s move where he blows up the judge at the end and then just credits roll as he drives away. Yeah. Um, mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. That finally, this movie blew up was that car. in the eighties because that's a very seventies and it's yeah. Just the movie that, actually the has movie a very seventies over overall feel. The whole the whole movie feels like it should have come out in nineteen seventy seven. Greed. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive In on Twitter at MN Drive In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling.
Alright, so anybody watch anything since last time? I watched things. I know. Uh, like <laughs> continuing my watch of uh, Wellington Paranormal. It's still delightful. Everyone yeah. should watch that. Shar's uh, been watching. I haven't followed the whole series, but she's been watching the show Evil. I am uh, four episodes away from catching up. It is. It's pretty dope. I really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm enjoying it too. I'm not usually I'm not usually much for like possession stuff, but I like the fact that 90% of it, you know, they end up rationalizing it and there's this somehow they managed to stay on this idea of maybe it's mental illness rather than actual demons and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm <clears throat> I need to check out the last four episodes and then I'm excited for when they start back up again, I think at the end of the month. Plus, I'm a huge fan of Brian. You might know his name, the the dude who's kind of the evil psychologist. Oh yeah, what the, what the fuck is that actor's name? Do you know? Uh, no, I just refer to him as Ben from Lost. Yes, Ben from Lost. God damn it, he's awesome. Yeah, he is incredibly terrifying when he needs to be and then we'll somehow just do some weird goofy like thing that comes out of nowhere and but it still works somehow yeah he's the perfect actor for a sociopath yeah but yeah 100 percent. then last week went and saw suicide squad oh, it was yeah. dope i watched those did you watch it on the big screen or did you just watch it on uh hbo uh, Michael Emerson is Ben from Lost. Ah, there he is. Uh, I watched it. I watched it through the HBO HBO Max. Not the same. Can't see it on the big screen. That's all right. Uh, I think I uh, probably enjoyed it less than you did. Really? Yeah. I was. I. I think I'm mostly positive. I would say eight. Eight out of ten, maybe. Maybe seven out of ten. But I'll give it eight because it's funny. Maybe a six or a five. Really? That low? Like, I enjoyed it, I guess, somewhat, but I just did not feel a real connection to it, like I did with both of the of the Guardians movies. Uh, part of the problem, maybe I was too excited for it, and then didn't get what I wanted out of it, but, eh. Yeah. I will say the the trick that they pull at the beginning of the movie was almost annoying. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I don't, you know, they, they were always honest about, you know, a whole bunch of characters are going to die real fast. So, yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but that's not, that's not exactly what we thought you meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I also hate that they pull the time jump a couple times in the movie like they do the thing yeah. and they're like oh but really three weeks ago and then there's something later where it's like eight minutes earlier and i'm just like oh yeah. come on do that it's dumb i will say this polka dot man was awesome i i needed a hundred thousand percent more polka dot man yeah um and then i liked the uh i don't know if you saw it, the story that he adopted a cat while he was down there in panama no. Uh, the, some stray cat just came up on the set and he fell in love with her, so he adopted her. And, uh, you know, took her home with him. But uh, while they were still filming, 
the uh, costume department made the cat its own polka dot man costume. <laughs> so now he has a cat in his house that runs around in a tiny polka dot man costume. It's pretty awesome. That's extra amazing. <laughs> but besides that, I thought I, I kind of I liked where they went with most of the characters. I kind I I would say it's a vast improvement from what the crap that DC's been doing, with the exception of Shazam and the first Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, Star was good. That was, yeah. That was about all I was excited for. I like the fact that they did that real authentic, too. I was pretty impressed with that. And I really, really thought that James Gunn handled Amanda Waller much better because this this one gets more across that she is she's fucking evil. She's just a manipulative, awful fucking human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like they did that on the last one too. But Yeah, see I think the last one they, they kind of did that whole yeah, she does awful things, but she does awful things for the right reason to save the world. And in this one, it's like, no, she just does awful things. She incidentally saves the world occasionally. Yeah, but the last one, I mean, she sent the team in to bring out a mark. It turned out the mark was herself. She just wanted them to come get her because she fucked something up. Yeah, also true. Uh, the, I like the movie. It's fine. I just, I don't know. Did, didn't like it as much as I had hoped I was going to. Yeah. I think it's way better than the first one. I'll tell you that. Not that oh, I've seen, yeah. but I, a thousand, just a, assuming. A, a million bajillion times better. Yeah, infinitely better. But that's because <laughs> the first one is hot garbage. Yeah. Uh, I think you should maybe apologize to your garbage when we're done for comparing it to that movie. But <laughs> it's hurtful. I just had to write a script for a video that is going to be coming out probably in the next couple of weeks comparing the two movies. Yeah, I was going to say this one has jokes that land, has action scenes that you can understand what's going on and has characters that you care about. So that's three things better than the first movie. And those are three pretty important things. Uh, then this week I went and saw Free Guy, mm-hmm. which is so much better than I thought it was going to be. It's ridiculous. So I I really went into it thinking, okay, this is a that one of those dumb summer movies. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a big budget Ryan Reynolds cash grab kind of thing. And uh, no. It turned out it's it's fun. It's pretty clever. Uh, the action scenes are really good. Think how Ryan Reynolds been doing superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah. Did, did either of you go see it? No, it's on the list, but I just I was I've been so busy the past couple of weeks. I haven't had a chance. Highest, highest of recommends. Go see it in the theater. It's it's totally worth seeing it. Uh, they apparently have already greenlit a sequel because of how well it was doing. So. I don't. I don't know how a sequel makes fucking sense, but I don't either. But Ryan Reynolds posted Disney wants a sequel. So, yeah. 
because the movie's a little more involved because the the trailers made it look like the whole story was that you know the this NPC in Grand Theft Auto essentially gains sentience all of a sudden and is just trying to survive or whatever. And that's not remotely what the movie actually is. It's got and it's got it's got some pretty deep, interesting themes in it. Uh, A lot of them revolving around that kind of culture. So, you know, like the Grand Theft Auto culture of people who play that game that just, you know, torture and maim people and think it's hilarious and all that kind of stuff. And it asks that question of, yeah, but is that a good thing? Like, <laughs> like imagine, imagine if the things in that game were actually could like feel to some extent. Is is what you're doing right? Like, just because you think that you're a higher See, life form or whatever? That's a bit of a silly question, though, because they can't think or feel because they're computer-generated characters that serve no purpose except to be killed and maimed. Well, except, except it, it does kind of make the argument, so in, in this one, there's a, there's a whole reason why everything happens and all that, which I won't go into because that's spoilery. But the idea, one of the ideas is, so if you were on the outside looking in, at what point does the programming in that video game become sophisticated enough that that changes? And could you, as a player, actually know that? Because I don't think you would. You would just think, oh, this is an even smarter program. You know what I mean? It can it can interact even better. Yeah, oh, and I've seen, um, like, we've talked in the past about, like, movies that tackle that sort of subject of when does a life form become sentient, an artificial life form, which can be interesting. It just seems a little weird to me that if it's a, a character in a game, that it would treated the same way yeah well if and like i said that's not exactly the plot the plot's different but uh taika waititi's fucking hilarious he should be in every movie oh my god he's not he's not in it for very long but you know he's playing a uh you know a millionaire video game mogul kind of thing who's just you know one of those self-righteous assholes who's never actually done anything everyone else did all the work for him and it's it's really great. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So high recommend. It was really it was really fun. It has touching moments in it. it has funny stuff in it. The ending is uh meta is absolute fuck for a minute, which I don't know if I approve of that or not. But I suppose in a weird way the movie itself is meta since it's a self-referencing video game kind of thing. Uh, and then I went and saw Don't Breathe 2. Mm-hmm. Even less breathier. I think is the tagline. I don't uh, think that that's the official one, but I'm pretty sure it is. Don't, don't breathe too, passing out. Yeah, uh, it was it was see, interesting the direction that they went the, with it. I, was say, I do find it a weird choice that they took the villain from the first movie and made him a uh, good guy in the second movie. Oh, they don't. They make that pretty clear. Right. That's how the trailer portrayed it, anyway. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> He's he's a villain turned supervillain. Well, that makes what's interesting about calling him a villain from that first movie is that to some extent, like the only reason that he became a villain is because these people were in his house. No, that's, to, not, uh, that's not true. Uh, that's that's well, also. 
he had women tied up in his basement. Yeah, in yeah he was a, yeah, he was yeah, a yeah, rapist before the movie. But we didn't started. know that for most of the movie. So. Well, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> but for most of the movie, his his behavior was completely justified using death wish logic. So. And we don't yeah. know what those other women did to deserve to be tied in his basement. Yeah, the the <laughs> second <agree>. one. <laughs> but then when they turn around, they're like, "No, he's good now." And I'm like, "No, no, women tied up with the turkey baster. I don't, I don't think we can call him good now." Yeah, I was gonna say. So the second one, he's going up against uh, stronger bad guys. Of course. So you know they're all ex marines. To make it to raise those stakes. But it is kind of it's interesting because it's it's a redemption arc for him, kind of it, but not not redeemed as in, oh, he's a good guy now. But redeemed as in by the end, he realizes how bad of a guy he actually is. <laughs> it's it's pretty. I like how they they escalate the bad guys, too. Right. Because. So the first movie, it's just these douchebags who break into his house and the fact that they're being violent douchebags justifies the fact that he's fucking them all up, right? Yeah, remember when I just said that and everyone yelled at me? Right. Well, but but what I was going to say, but by the end of the movie, you realize that he's a villain, a villain and you're like, oh, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> this is bad. Oh, this is really bad. Uh well, this movie starts with you knowing how bad he is. So they're like, OK, so how do we now justify to get you at all on his side? Well, we have to make the bad guys way worse. And so they do that. Sounds like they're updating the slasher template and just being like, make the teenagers so annoying that it's OK to kill them. Well, but they're no longer teenagers. OK. And I don't I don't want to get too deep into why they're bad guys, because that's that's spoiler territory. Sure. But yeah, it it amps like I said, it amps up a little bit because in the first in the first movie, it's kind of OK. He's he's a blind guy who's also a badass. You know what I mean? And the fact that you're in the dark, he has an advantage. But in this one, they're like, he's fucking psycho daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> Although they also beat him up worse, if that makes sense. He doesn't have quite an easy of a time taking on the invaders. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. What I don't know is if there's going to be a sequel or not. Most people that I know who have seen it are not nearly as positive as you. So well, that implies fuck, they, they can go fuck themselves. Can they? <laughs> All of them? Just anybody whose opinion is slightly different than yours right away? That's where we're headed? Yeah. <laughs> All right. But uh, now there's, there's an after credit scene that provides no additional information. <laughs> It's it's really weird. The the only thing that suggests to me that this story might continue is that there is an after credit scene, but I don't know why that after credit scene's there. Because once again, it provides you with nothing. Speaking of after credit scenes, are we far enough along in the superhero journey that we can all just assume there's always a post credit scene now? I assume there's two. Yes. All right. Yeah, you, you just stay till the credits are done. Yeah. I listened to some podcasts and like they were talking about Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad, I'm sorry. And then they rattled off something and someone's like, that's not how that result. 
Like, what are you talking about? It's like, there's a post-credit scene that shows that what you just said was false. Oh, I didn't know there was a post-credit scene. I'm just like, come on, man. Ten years into this. How do you how do you not know there's a there's a post credit scene at the end of a superhero movie? I mean now there's a post credit scene on just about everything. We have we have yeah. entered the era of the post credit scene. Arguably we've been in that era for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, like it's it should be a given now. I don't know, I don't that upsets me. Especially if you run like a film podcast, is what this my specific point. It's just like, come on, like just wait the extra eight minutes and uh, watch all the damn credits, and then like even if you don't like the post credit scene, at least you hung around and can understand that there was one. I don't know, it just bugs me. I just i I pretty much almost always sit through the credits anymore. Just because I've come to the realization that those giant lists of names, especially at the end of the movie, the fact that people are going to see their name on the screen for 15 seconds is is about the best thing they're getting out of <laughs> all the work they put into helping make that movie. And maybe I owe it to them to, like, at least sit there and kind of glance at the screen. Yeah. Oh, I feel no obligation to any people in any way. So... Yeah, I Google, hey, is there a post credit scene? And that determines if I sit down or not. Uh, I also watched the first five minutes of Freaky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But that was it. I only got to see the first five minutes. Shar was that, in the room. You, and is I that your review? That you? Okay. No, no, no. I'm assuming it's, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm a little tentative because it's got Vince Vaughn in it, and Vince Vaughn's usually not a good sign. No, he's fantastic. But uh, I, I was trying to watch something, and I put it on, and Char was in the room, and I was like, all right, well, if it's violent and gross, I'll, I'll turn it off so that you don't have to sit there and make right. huffy noises. And, of course, the very next thing that happens is the scene where he shoves the champagne bottle in the guy's neck and it, like, shatters through his throat. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I, I guess I'm not watching that tonight. <laughs> I feel like it's, like, so over the top that it makes it funny. But Yeah, uh, she doesn't. she doesn't do blood and guts at all. That's dumb. Because it is really funny. Like Vince Vaughn is like a 16-year-old girl. It is pretty hysterical. But I'll probably go back and watch it some night whenever she's out doing something. Uh, what about you, Doug? Uh, I watched a few things. Yeah. I watched the 2021 film of the year, <laughs> Willy's Wonderland. Oh, um, I have no idea what the fuck that is. It's oh, the Nick what? Cage fights... Nick Cage yes, done yelling at each other? No, go ahead. No, it's, it's Nick Cage fights an evil Chuck E. Cheese. Um, and it is glorious in its stupidity. I figured this would be right. It, I was it is just, it is literally Nick Cage goes into a place. He's um, hired to clean, you know, Basically, so he goes in and as the animatronics come to life every time he murders one and then he 
changes into a clean uniform, takes a break, has a, has something to drink, plays some pinball, then goes back to cleaning. Then another animatronic comes to life <laughs> and repeat and repeat and repeat for a while. <laughs> it's glorious. So it's then, Five Nights at Freddy's. I don't know. Um, sort of, I it, guess. And it's Nicolas Cage fucking fucking up robots. And it is. one of the glorious things is he doesn't utter a single word in the entire movie. Nope. And there's so many moments where you'd think this would be the time when you would speak because another character is speaking to him and asking him questions. <laughs> but I swear to God, it was like... It, it has to be some weird Nick Cage bullshit where he just got on set and refused to talk. There's nobody, anybody wrote this script without him having any dialogue. I mean, does he make noises? Does he like no. go? Uh, yeah. He makes noises um, when he's like in fight mode, like, but not as part of conversation. No, it's fucking, fucking spe- crazy. Specifically wrote it for him. For and to not have any dialogue because he thought it would be funny. Uh, <laughs> and apparently, one of the producers tried to get him, like, Well, come on, you need to say like one thing during the movie, it has to be like this badass line so we can put it in the trailer. And he's just like, No, I don't, I don't think that would be appropriate for this character, so he still wouldn't do it. <laughs> I just, <sighs> how do you get the film made? <laughs> because I. You, you seriously, it's glorious. I assume that he it that you know the final series. It is, it is utterly amazing. There's a scene in this thing though where it's like, so one of these machines comes to life, and this is early on before Nick Cage's character has figured out that something nefarious is going on, and he pins this thing down and he's punching it in the head repeatedly until it dies, and then he jams its head into its body and pulls out its like. I don't know what even what you call it, like the skull with the neck skeleton hanging off of it, <laughs> like something the predator would do. And then he proceeds to just put it in a garbage bag, throw it in the trash bin, and go back to cleaning the place. <laughs> it's so amazing. At one point, and this is a minor spoiler, but there's about a 10-minute scene, which is just Nick Cage dancing and playing pinball at once. Well, that's how he's revving himself up to go into the final battle. Yeah. And it just goes on and on, and it's amazing. And it's like, I'm, you guys know me. I'm hesitant on Nick Cage, but now I'm full on board. I'm like going to go on a Cage-a-thon sometime soon. Because, <laughs> oh my fucking God. I was just, I was cheering at my TV in a way that I haven't done in a long time while I watched this movie. It is weird. Like, he'll be cleaning, and then, like, the alarm on his watch will go off. Nope. Taking a break. And then he goes. He crushes, like, a fucking... Um, we assumed it was, like, an energy drink. And then... Yeah, uh, it's some kind of... It says pop on it, but it's not really clear what it is, because they didn't... They I Maybe they were hoping to get sponsored as part of the budget, and then they just didn't. So they had to invent their own brand. <laughs> He crushes an energy drink, plays uh, pinball very enthusiastically, like, like Doug said, dances in, in some cases. It is it is <laughs> glorious and fantastic. You need to watch this, Noah. It's just, it's lunacy, but it's great. It's And then when they, they actually do give you, like, eventually there's a whole plot as to why these things are coming to life, and it's all just 
fucking more and more insanity piled on top. It's just this constant like pile of insanity where it's like, wait, are we, is this set in the child's play universe at one point? Cause you're like a minor spoiler. There's serial killers possessing these fucking animatronics at this Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> it's insane. And then there's like a whole conspiracy surrounding it and it just keeps getting stranger and stranger. And you're just like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I love it though. Um, glorious just yeah I mean I was like I was a little skeptical about it because of the Nick Cage factor and I find like you know sometimes he kind of calls in these smaller movies and he's just you know collecting his hundred grand or whatever not collecting it having it mailed directly to the tax man there but um, (laughs) he in this one he clearly was invested in the role and it's like you to have somebody with his presence doing all the ridiculous things that this character does for no reason. Again, like literally the movie starts with him driving into town, ends with him driving out of town. We don't even know where he was headed at the time like because he doesn't have any dialogue to explain it. it serves no purpose. Uh, outstanding. Just genuinely outstanding. Um. Yeah, I don't even know what else I'm supposed to say about it. <laughs> I just feel like I feel like if, if we all watched this movie, it would just turn into one of those. Do you remember the part when? Do you remember the part when? <laughs> but I, I, one of the things I loved about the movie that I think is just the fact that I'm sure it's like almost partially a a way to keep production costs down. But at the end of every kill, after he kills one of the machines, he like goes and patches himself up changes into a fresh t-shirt so that when he comes back, he looks perfectly clean and neat again. And then it just keeps happening. But every time he like takes the shirt off and like tapes up a new injury. Where's he like, getting That's all these so... shirts? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's explained in the plot where all the shirts come from. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Nothing is left unanswered in this movie. Except for, you know, who is the main character? And what is he doing? (laughs) Except for who is the main character and why is he here? Everything else is answered except for those two questions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, those aren't important. No, No. I honestly thought there was going to be some explanation that he, his, this, this place killed his sister or some bullshit. Nope. Never get any whatsoever. Yeah, I anticipated somewhere towards the end of the movie a line of dialogue or two explaining that he was here on purpose and that there's a, you know, it's the reason this total badass was locked in there was because he decided to be locked in there. But it's because there's even like a line of dialogue at one point where somebody says something like, it's a, it almost felt like a Watchmen reference where they're like, he's not locked in there with them, they're locked in there with him. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Why is this guy that, you know, doesn't have any cash in his pocket able to kill all these machines that have been destroying this town for years? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because it's too glorious to question. (sighs) Plus, you know what? I just love living in a world where somebody's at home watching reruns of The Simpsons and goes, we should make a, a feature length version of that one, but with Nick Cage in it. And that could just happen now. Because clearly this is a rip-off of the Itchy and Scratchy Land episode. 
There's no way that it wasn't inspired by that. And uh, I think that's great. I want to see that happen with a whole bunch of different ones. <laughs> uh, so good. That movie made me happy. <laughs> um, probably watched something else this week too, didn't I? <laughs> I blanked it all out because you were so happy about Willy's Wonderland. Uh, I'm just checking my list here to see what else is worth talking about. But oh, I, you know what? I finally what's that? I was just gonna say I could go into my actual cageathon that I had. Um, but uh, sure. no, I was just gonna say I finally uh, I finally saw the movie Oculus, which I had zero interest in seeing, which is why I hadn't seen it before. Turns out it's like uh, uh, what's his name that directed it? Mike Flanagan. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, which I did not know, or else I probably would have had some more interest in seeing it. Um, but for a movie that is marketed as Evil Mirror, um, very very effective movie. Um, so the if you haven't seen it, like the movie, the the plot of the movie is that there's this this kid that is in a mental institution and he's getting let out because he killed somebody when he was very young and now he's like in his 20s and looks like he belongs on the CW. Um, so he's getting out and his sister is basically like, no, you know how you, when you went into the mental institution because you were telling them that the evil mirror was the one killing people? Like, no, you were right. And I tracked down the mirror and now that it's just the two of us, we can kill it together. And most of the movie takes place with them locked in a house trying to deal with this evil mirror while these flashbacks are happening to what happened when they were kids and the two siblings are going back and forth because he's trying to convince her that like no I was insane and you're clearly still insane because you think mirrors can be evil and she's trying to convince him like no you're you're fine it's just that the mirror is evil and it is a shockingly effective film, considering that ridiculous premise. Um, just creepy and weird the whole time, and really kind of engaging, even though I didn't really like the the lead actor. I still found all the conversations between him and the sister to be quite interesting. Um, I found the way they jumped back and forth between the two stories to be done really well. There's even moments where like, it sounds cheesy to say it, but where like a character is in the room with like the younger version of themselves as the two stories are being told and it still works. Um, yeah. There's a couple of gore scenes that work really well. One in particular where a girl gets cut in the mouth and she's like spitting up blood and it works really, really good. And that's, I think we talked about it when we talked about um, was that Stephen King adaptation that he did Gerald's game. It's either going to be Gerald's game or Dr. Sleep. Yep. I think Gerald's game, when we talked about that one, I remember talking about how like he just interjects the right amount of gore at the right time, where it's really effective without kind of going over the top and taking you out of the realism of the movie. And in Oculus, he does that a couple of times where it's like really, really well done. Wow. So it's like a huge recommend, despite the fact that it's an evil mirror movie starring a guy that looks like he like literally walked off the set of a CW show and into it. <laughs> um, I was super actually, happy to watch it. Yeah, Mike Flanagan's actually hidden the Oculus mirror because he owns it. He's actually hidden it in just oh, yeah? about everything he's made sense. So yeah, attention, you can usually spot it somewhere. 
Well, and I think I, I I don't know the details of this, but I think he made like short films about that evil mirror beforehand. Yeah. So it's like, um, yeah, it's probably something that's like, you know, early in his story. It's like Sam Raimi putting his car in every movie where it's like, I would put it in the first one for no good reason. And then all of a sudden it becomes a thing. Yeah. Uh, pretty much uh if i hear mike flanagan's name which i know you didn't know so which is why you didn't watch it but if i hear mike flanagan's name on something i'm pretty much just like well i'll be watching that yeah i when i went to his imdb page i looked at it i'm like there's a couple of things on here i haven't seen for no good reason so i might have a couple other mike flanagan movies to talk about next week because i just was like why haven't i watched these movies (laughs) yeah uh i would recommend before i wake that's what one I plan to watch hopefully in the next week. And I don't remember if it's Netflix. Like I think Netflix bought it. So I think it's, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Some people have, you know, different takes on it, but I thought it was an interesting idea and thought the execution was pretty good. Uh, did you watch yeah, it? Oh, uh, I actually, because when Oculus ended, Netflix was like, well, if you like that one, you should probably watch us and i'm like holy shit why haven't i seen us yet all right that fine well <laughs> then i won't go to bed i'll just watch us um and like wow is that an appropriate response to watching us uh blown away by how good this movie is which i think everybody else already knew except me but yeah i'm a big fan uh just yeah like because i was a fan of of get out um which is part of why i wanted to see us but it us is just a, a a huge step up even from that like it again walks this line of like being dark and creepy and scary and working on like a thriller level and then when the violence happens it's fantastic too and mm-hmm. i mean the performances in us were fantastic because so many actors i mean it's minor spoiler but actors being played playing different versions of the same character that are very, very different. And the number of them that could pull it off, even the children, um, yeah. the, so the main little girl, I don't know any of the characters names, but there's the mom, the dad and the two kids <laughs> and the main little girl, like she's pretty good as a normal kid. But when the evil doppelganger version of her shows up, she's fantastic. And she gives this look into the camera several times where I'm just like, I'm now all of a sudden I'm scared of this 12 year old girl. I know <laughs> like that's, and that's all there is to it. I'm, I'm scared of her. And if I see this girl in the street, I'm going the other way. And that's kind of fascinating from her just giving a look into the camera, but she does it a couple of times. And every time I'm like, fuck me, get her away. Um, I was genuinely creeped out watching us in a way that I don't get during movies. Um, just hugely effective film. Like I say, the violence stepped it up as well. Yeah, I just just uh, the weird mythology that he set up, and like this whole other <clears throat> underground world that exists. That yeah, we'll just like eh. we'll just I guess we're I, done with this. We'll just leave this, and not do anything with it. <laughs> and then it just exists on its own. Like that's fucked yeah, up. There is like a a bit of a thing where I'm wondering would it would the movie have been better if they had explored that mythology more? And I'm not sure if it would be or not. Um, because part of me thinks like, I still don't fully understand it. So maybe I need it better explained. And then part of me thinks if you try to explain it, you're going to 
A, you're going to take time away from all that other cool shit that was happening. And B, you're going to maybe ruin it by trying to explain some of it. Because if you overthink the, the plot line of, there's, yeah, every human being on Earth basically has a, another version of themselves living underground. I'm like, well, that, that might not work if you think it through it too hard. <laughs> but yeah. it's fine. Um, yeah. I, I guess just <laughs> Jordan, uh, utterly blown away. Jordan Peele's another one. His name's on it, even as just a producer. I am pretty yeah. much on So, yeah, I don't know. I haven't, because I didn't watch the Twilight Zone stuff. Um, but certainly, if he puts out another horror film where his name's on it as director, I'm in 100%. So, the next one's called Nope. And, right. <laughs> and it's just a cloud with a pendant rope hanging out of it. And I mm-hmm. don't know what that means, but I am 100% on board and we'll be there to yeah. the opening weekend. I almost, yeah, I almost uh, will go into the next one, maybe not even watching trailers, just one of those I'd rather not know. I'll walk in, I'll sit down, and I'll see what it is. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm not really bringing anything new to the discussion here when I'm like, oh, yeah, Mike Flanagan and Jordan Peele, those are two really good horror directors working today, eh, guys? Like, <laughs> oh yeah are we the first podcast to discover that but you know uh, for some reason I'm only catching up to these movies now and I'm just super happy that I did so if anything this discussion has made me sad that a new Jordan Peele movie isn't out yet so yeah well then my mission is accomplished I've ruined other people's day <laughs> you got anything else uh, no it's enough for me uh, so my friend who used to be my coworker, but I don't work with him anymore. Uh, who I was helping educate on movies and stuff. He came over, we watched the rock. He enjoyed it. And so I said, well, next time we'll watch con air. And then I showed him the trailer and he was like, Oh yeah, that looks right up my alley. So I texted him. was like, Hey, you want to come over and watch con air? And he's like, yeah, I need some more cage in my life. And I told him, well, you just said the wrong phrase, motherfucker, because it just turned into a Nick Cage marathon. Uh, so we watched Con Air, which is just as glorious and weird and fantastically over the top as uh, I remember it being, because I haven't watched it in about 10 years. Uh, he greatly liked this movie. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this movie is fantastic. Uh, yeah. So Conair, still great. Everybody should watch it. Uh, we followed that up with Drive Angry, which I really enjoyed in the theater, and it did not get nearly enough love. Uh, I always say it's the best Ghost Rider movie that they've made because the two Ghost Rider movies that Nick Cage made are fucking terrible. But somehow this storyline would actually make a decent Ghost Rider movie. Um, and of course, you know, it's not a Ghost Rider movie. Uh, so Nick Cage breaks out of hell because his daughter was murdered and her her baby is going to be sacrificed by some satanic cult and open up some like uh, hell on earth, essentially. Yeah. So he, he breaks out of hell and is going to find the cult leader so he can kill him and rescue the baby and whatnot. And uh, hijinks ensue. 
Unfortunately, he runs into Amber Heard, who Amber Heard's a terrible person, so you have to sit through her for for most of the movie. But um, yeah, the movie's just a lot of fun. It's got fucking Tom Atkins in it, so that should be enough to make anybody watch it. Hell yeah. Yep, straight. Um, and it's just a giant action movie. So I'd say worth it. The uh, unfortunate thing, I guess, or fortunate, is that it was filmed to be in 3D, so you just have to put up with shit flying at the screen for no, for what looks like no discernible reason when you watch it in non-3D. Um, but still a lot of fun. Still just a giant action movie. So, worth watching. Uh, we followed that up with Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, if you just want to watch a giant car chase movie, that's exactly what you get from this movie. Um, Nick Cage and a bunch of people just stealing stealing cars. Still great. Uh, and then we finished the night off with uh, Raising Arizona. And uh, after watching it, I realized I don't think I've ever watched it before. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought I had at some point, but I must have only seen a couple scenes or something. Uh, but yeah, that movie is fantastic. Uh, Nick Cage is Nick Cagey, even all the way back then. Uh, John Goodman's fantastic, of course. Um, yeah, him and Helen Hunt, Hel- not Helen Hunt, him and uh, Holly Hunter steal a baby. Who couldn't couldn't ask for a more hilarious setup like that? Uh, so all in all, it was a good cage-a-thon with dancing pinball or anything, but <laughs> what you can get. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right, Doug, if you decide what we're watching next week. Uh, yeah, I don't remember what I decided, but I did decide. Let's see what I wrote down here. Oh, yeah, we're going to do uh, Someone's Watching Me and Eyes of a Stranger. Ooh. So, 80s horror in apartment buildings? Yeah, I was actually thinking this might be my next pick, so that just makes me happy because it moves it up. So that's actually really good because I also ruined your next choices, which is extra fun for me as well. (laughs) My primary goal here is for me to do things I enjoy that also make you unhappy, so. Holy shit. I think a band just dropped some shit upstairs. Yeah. Oh, well, nothing too ridiculous had happened yet in this week's podcast, so I'm glad that you finally solved it at the end. All right, well, I should probably wrap this up to go make sure she didn't, like, break something. Yeah, if, you, if your wife's dead, then we'll postpone next week's show until it's convenient. Right. Yeah. God, I hope, I hope I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I yelled up to her, she responded, but she doesn't sound uh-huh. right. So I should probably go see what's up. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.